Welcome. Thanks for joining us. This is Beyond the Illusion. In this episode, we have a conversation with Luis Rieti. Luis has graciously joined us at my request in order to talk about the Law of One. Luis has studied the Law of One for years and has a vast knowledge of the material, and based on my time getting to know him, it's easy to see that he's committed himself to integrating the teachings of this material into his everyday life. You can tell that he fully embraces the Law of One as a framework through which he experiences life. I've talked about the Law of One briefly on previous episodes, and if you listen to those episodes, you'd know that it holds a very special place in my heart because it's had such a profound influence on my life ever since I found it. And I believe that it has that effect on a lot of people when they are drawn to it like I was. If you're not familiar with the Law of One, I'll do my best here to give you a general idea of where it came from and what it's about. But just as a caveat, I will say that it's hard for anyone to summarize something like this because there's so much information there and so many topics are covered. Even in the conversation that we have with Luis in this episode, we barely touch on a couple of the concepts and there's just so much more that we don't even talk about at all. We may have to revisit this topic again at some point in the future. Okay, so the Law of One came from a group of three people, Jim McCarty, Don Elkins and Carla Rucker, and they worked on it from 1981 to 1984. The three of them, while they were developing methods for channeling, which originally stemmed from an interest in UFO sightings and alien abductions, they eventually contacted a group of beings that called themselves Ra, spelled R-A. And Ra described themselves as a group of beings who exist in a higher plane of existence than the plane that we humans are currently experiencing. They describe themselves as a social memory complex that is composed of 6.5 million entities that have combined their consciousness together as a single consciousness, and that is who Carla, Jim, and Don were communicating with. They also state that they have been in contact with previous civilizations on our planet thousands of years ago in our past, with the intent of helping us to advance ourselves spiritually. The way that the raw contact would happen was by channeling through Carla Ruckert while Don Elkins would ask questions. And the information that comes through Carla from raw is what has been eventually transcribed from audio tapes into a set of books called The Law of One. As I mentioned before, we barely scratched the surface of the raw material in our conversation with Luis, but what we do talk about is definitely worth hearing. Let's go to the conversation with Luis, already in progress. Yeah, so, we can start from the beginning. Yeah, so why don't, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your, your story, and how you got here. <laughs> well... It's kind of a long story, but I'll keep it short. Okay. Uh, I was originally born and raised in Honduras, Tegucigalpa. It's uh, in Central America, a small little country. And uh, just a normal guy in a normal family, I would say. My family was middle class in, in a third world country. And... I don't know what that means, but it gave me a sense of exposure, both to the extreme p- 
poverty as well as the extreme wealth around me, right? And I was kind of raised with with that context, which was very interesting. And um, it it was clearly the traditional Latin American culture, which is more macho and um, very much about power, personal power, and uh, about accumulating influence and wealth, which you could argue a lot of parts of the world are, but it's it's different. In, in Honduras, I feel that there's more of an emotional awareness of how to interact with others and influence or even manipulate others. Emotionally, it was an overwhelming experience for me. <laughs> and um, I came to find out only in my later years a lot of self-awareness that helped explain a lot of things now but when I was a kid I felt super lost and uh, very confused <laughs> almost all the time um, regardless I was interested in philosophy and ideas about you know the meaning of life and the truth is that very few people could have a conversation about it without kind of laughing about it as something silly, right? And so I feel a lot of people can relate to that, but that kind of created in me a little bit of of a compartmentalization of personality, if that makes any sense. So I, you know, wanted to go deeper, and so I got into Christianity because in Latin America that's very prevalent, of course, but I wanted to understand it not just from a go to church every Sunday perspective, but you know what does it really mean for my life, for my purpose? Just like many other Christians out there, I felt very passionate and excited, and I felt a lot of love when I first started to read. The writings of the Bible and especially the, the Gospels of Jesus and um, after high school the, there was a few turbulent things at the end of my high school where I uh, kind of felt even more alienated so to speak I had this car accident and there was some traumatic experiences surrounding that car accident where I just felt like I needed to get out of the, and just kind of start over. And so very much motivated by, or inspired rather, by some missionaries that I had helped uh, as a translator in, in Honduras. I saw a different way to see life from, from these folks from the U.S. And I was like, man, these, these people, they're full of love. Obviously, they're here, but they're also hardworking and and smart and they have respect and they have a sense of honor that I didn't really feel very often and so I I said I wanted to leave <laughs> and go to the US my parents laughed at me when how I old said were you that. at that time 17 mm-hmm. I do want to say this uh, real quick that um, you know you say a lot of people they when they move on from from Christianity or whatever they started out with as children, 
um, religion that they maybe were brought up with in their family. I know a lot of people who have moved on from that, like they've evolved past that, or it doesn't even have to be past that. They just moved into some other direction in their spirituality or their belief system. And um, I think at that point, a lot of people tend to look down or, or bash even the religion that they had as children. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad you said it the way that you said it, because I feel the same way about uh, Catholicism, because that's what I was raised as, you know, when I was a kid. And as I got older, you know, I started to question different things and, and it didn't all resonate with me. But the thing that uh, did happen a lot was similar to what you felt like um, I would be at the church and then, you know, the priest would say something and it would trigger something inside of me. And I would feel all these feelings, you know, that I never they couldn't I couldn't explain them. And this happened a lot to me in church. And, and I would think back then I would think, oh, that's God, you know, that's got to be God, I guess, you know, <laughs> you know, now I, I don't know that that's, you know, I have a different view of what it is, but, um, I did feel a lot of positive things and good, a lot of good came out of being involved with the church, you know, even though I don't practice Catholicism anymore, I don't feel, um, like it's, like it's necessarily bad. I mean, there are, you know, obviously things that are wrong with it, but, um, yeah, I, I like that you said that you, you felt these things, you know, these positive things when you when you read the scriptures and stuff like that. You know, I, I really think that it's important to realize that there is the traditions from a religion, which are structure and cultural norms, frankly, that have been developed over hundreds of years and they create a social structure and clearly there will be dynamics power dynamics within that social structure and that's i feel what really turns off people about religion and sometimes they forget to to look at the core of the ideas that that sprung that religion right and so that's actually one of the reasons that i really resonated with the law of one because I think that if we try to just package up reality into intellectual terms, it's always going to be disappointing. And I think that's what disappoints people. It's like, you're telling me that all I have to do is invite Jesus into my heart and then I'm saved from hell. That's one plus one equals two. And it's it's not quite what Jesus said. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So... I'm really interested in what happened to you after you got here, after high school. Yeah. Um, and how you got introduced, you know, to the law of one and all that. Sure. When I uh, got here, I felt very liberated. And, you know, the U.S. is a great country. I feel that people that have lived there, here their whole lives and haven't gotten a chance to really see the rest of the world are depriving themselves first of appreciating how good of a country this is truly and also just of broadening what that perspective and awareness is of culture right of of what it is what what does it mean to be american um i felt great i felt free freedom like a very human freedom very personal freedom that's hard to feel in other countries in the, the sense of feeling safe at night when you're walking home and 
you know, feeling like you could go to some random store in the middle of nowhere and buy some chips. You know, little things like that. It's even become more evolved in this with all these uh, gig economies, right? Uber and all that other stuff. So anyways, um, I felt great. And I decided to join a band because maybe I thought that would be an outlet for all this passion I felt inside that I didn't know how to express. Now I understand also why music played a really big part in my life and really getting to understand the law of one as well as the channelings, not only of Ra, but of Quo, I, I, I understood how sometimes the arts are a more pure expression of our essence because there's less of a focus in the specificity of a word or a sentence and a more subconscious appreciation of that feeling of that quality. And so music was like, wow. You know, I, I wrote music and I felt that I could speak finally at some level. And that was the first time I kind of felt that. So, so when I was young, growing up, I felt always this gaping desire to find purpose and to, to understand why I was here. And as nebulous and weird as that sound, it, this, this thought just totally plagued me. <laughs> like very intensely. Um, How old were you when you were thinking like this? As young as I can remember, hmm. you know. Wow. Yeah, I, I I constantly daydreamed, and I just thought, what am I supposed to do, and what's all this for? Um, and like many of us, religion portrayed some form of an answer to that question, and I passionately pursued that. For, for my youth, really, in Christianity. And uh, I felt like somebody had started a match, a little fire, and it was a very strong initial flame. Um, Christianity gave me the idea to be good, to be good to others, to do good things. And it frankly sounded like the right thing to do and it created movements within me that I did not understand but that make me feel fed and loved um but after I tried to give myself into that this pattern of frankly rules of behavior I kind of ran out of that fuel that had lit that fire originally and I started to realize that it was limiting my expression and so I kind of decided to just close that chapter instead of going to teachers so to speak to, to ask questions I just started to explore a little bit of myself I, I, I did a lot of that through music it became an outlet for me to understand my own feelings uh, and to express myself shortly after college I had this thought that I needed to re to to live a real life in in terms of of the earthly standard I guess which is you know the the pursuit of success the pursuit of career and so I said hey you know what I tried being a good kid and I tried following the the religious path but that just didn't quite fulfill me I I get I got a lot of 
personal growth and a lot of love. So I got into my career and I pushed very hard, tried to make money. I tried to be an entrepreneur. I tried to travel and to do all the things you're supposed to do to be happy. And achieving some level of success there, I felt like it was almost like a drug. Like it felt good, but it that feeling would go away almost immediately. So you needed more. <laughs> and so I pushed a few years doing that until I, I just realized I was developing a self sense that was not very positive, almost like a self-loathing emotion. That's interesting that you describe it that way because I never thought of it like that, but it kind of is all these things that we think are important, like status and money and all that stuff. And when you get to the next little notch up, you know, you, you do feel that like elation and you feel good about yourself and the world, but then it kind of just goes away really quick. And you're like, wait a minute. I thought it was going to be better than this, you know? Well, it's unsustainable too, because you have to keep achieving. It's like that next hit and then get the next hit. And so it's, that's what so many people are on that track of the rat race where they're needing to keep achieving to be feeling good because their sense of self is coming from these external factors rather than from the depth of their being. Yeah. and, And I think that bringing that back to religion too, something similar happens not always but i feel like there are these brownie points that you get within an organization right for being more spiritual more christ-like more this or that and that also is what sometimes feels unsatisfying right yeah, I see that. I mean, and you see that not just in religion, but even, you know, kind of in the new age, there's a spiritual egotism. Yeah. So it's not a it's not a true spiritualist. It's a, still a form of the ego, just a spiritualized form of the ego. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's that it's the same game, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, just couched in spiritual terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um a way that Rod describes this is that that's the mind or the intellect actually kind of running away with your direction in the sense that the intellect is designed to maximize your comfort, to guarantee your survival, and to use logic to give you the opportunity to experience life, to experience catalysts. But if you optimize your life just according to the intellect then this is what it is it's a never-ending maze right because you can always optimize yeah you know you're touching on something that i heard you say this past weekend and um i'll I'll just tell everybody how i met you so it was really through tiana so uh we were talking about the law of one here on this podcast in another episode last season long a long time ago early on in the start of the podcast you know, I, she knew I was into the law of one and I talk about it occasionally. And then she, I don't know, how did you find that? Oh, I subscribe to, um, just kind of these like spiritual events in Austin email. And it was in one of those episodes or (laughs) it was in one of those emails, um, a list of events. And I saw this 
class or this gathering or this presentation on the law of one and i thought of you Tim, oh, and I, okay. that's why i sent it to you uh-huh. oh yeah okay so then she told me about that and then i ended up going to it because mm. i was like oh there, there's other people that are into this you know so i went and uh, that's how i met you and so you started doing these little study groups you know every so often and then um you moved away <laughs> and then you just came back, so you're back now, and um, you held another study session, and I went to that, and I'm, I'm coming back to my point is, at the beginning of that session, you, you were started to say um, how, you know, there's, we get sucked into these, you know, these accumulation and competition and, and all this stuff that's, you know, happening in the world in front of us, and, you know those those games really what they are they're very robust and i remember you saying that and you're you're like they're very you know they they know how to get your attention and they know how to keep you there and it just really resonated with me because i i can get sucked into that kind of thing very easily and i have pretty much most of my life and um you know once you realize wait a minute there's a there's a lot more happening and there's a lot more to why we're here and and all of that um, you know, your, your world starts to open up and then, you know, obviously you feel this more, um, sense of self-worth and, and direction and, um, all the things that come with that once you, once you start to, you know, broaden your perspective. Um, but yeah, I, I really liked that, that you, what you were saying in that last one, you even said things that I've heard before, but something about the way that you said them you started out with talking about how you have a puppy (laughs) and that how we all have this puppy inside of us. And do you remember what you said? Yeah. I just got a puppy two weeks ago. And so it's teaching me so much about myself. That's pretty remarkable. But one of the biggest things I've, I've noticed is, yeah, the, you know, the puppy I can see, the immensely beautiful consciousness within this little piece of life i can i can just see it and it's amazing but but this consciousness is funneled into this little brain <laughs> and it does what it does right like i feel that so many times we do things and we don't even know why but it's important to not be so self-deprecating and judgmental right to where we we are either overly strict with this puppy within us or just let them go crazy in the house and go nuts, right? Like, it doesn't mean that the puppy is all of ourselves, right? But it is it is a part of us. That's really what resonated with me at that time because, you know, Tiana knows I have been going through a really rough patch where I was being overly self-critical and, and just, you know, got, got stuck in a loop where I was like constantly beating myself up. He said that about the puppy, and I was like, you know, I should look at myself like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like there is this energy inside of me that wants to do all these really amazing things, and if I'm constantly saying no, like no, you need to stay in line, like n- don't do this, don't do that. You know, only do it this way. I'm then I'm just losing that, you know, that potential that's inside of all of us. You know. So um, yeah, I was surprised, Tim when we first met and um, we were talking about the law of one that you knew about this information because I'd read about it many, many years ago and it's kind of obscure. And so I didn't, I didn't 
meet very many people that were interested in this. And I think that probably most of the listeners um, are not going to be familiar with this material. So I'd love if you could kind of give us a overview from the beginner's point of what is this law of one raw material? Yeah. So I'll tie in the, the end of my answer to how I came about it, because I think it's such it's such a unique thing that most people that come across it come across it in a very uh, serendipitous way. And that's how it was for me. I essentially was finishing business school and was very much interested in in finding meaning in, in new things. And so I had been interested in paranormal activities and um, things like aliens, like extrasensory perception. And this was just a curiosity in me. You know, I just was done with with seeking through success and all that other stuff. And I and I said, well, I tried to be good, then I tried to be bad, and neither of them really hit the spot. So I I'm missing something. I just opened myself to 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 more things that frankly scared me. I remember I was actually in Amazon and and the raw material popped up as a recommendation for me to buy, which was pretty out of, out of the blue. And it just really popped out, right? And I thought it was interesting. I read the synopsis, but I didn't quite feel like I was ready for something like that. It was frankly it's on the surface pretty out there as as far out there as anything else you'll find and so I kind of neglected it for about a month or two and it just kept popping up and so finally I just took it as a sign and I just bought it and so it's one of those books that as you begin you kind of may be a little confused because it is very dense language first of all it gets very technical and it's very sensational and so I put it down several times and I told myself, what What are you doing? Why are you reading something so crazy? But I just wanted to keep doing because there was this curiosity, right? That you just want to understand it more and more until it just starts hitting these nerves. And once that happens, it's like, well, there's no way I'm stopping now. This is just rattling my perception of reality. The introduction into the loved one, you know, I, I would say that I'll give a, a context of, of how Ra describes the context of our life, where we are in the universe and the purpose of being human. So Ra says that the creator created the universe as pieces of itself, and these pieces decided to structure themselves within certain geometric patterns. Particularly, the pattern of an octave is one that's very much repeated throughout creation. This universe was split into eight densities, um, or seven densities, in which every density would be a particular version of that universe that allows life to grow, to evolve, and to learn. 
And a, and a density is something like a dimension? Yes. At a specific frequency, more or less? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, kind of like the rainbow or, or uh, a prism of light, right? The, the light, chakras? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like light is complete, light is whole. But if you refract it into a prism, you can see the octave. It's, 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 um distorts itself to separate pieces of itself, but it's still the same light altogether. And I think that's a very actually good picture of unity right there. The first density of experience is when consciousness is learning that it is consciousness. <laughs> so it is it is a very lengthy density of experience in which elemental forms emerge from the unmanifested to be manifested. And you have the life forces like water and earth and fire, these Forms of consciousness interact with each other. There's creations of planets and whatnot. And consciousness eventually evolves enough to the second density in which the lessons turn from just being aware of itself as consciousness to understanding that it has the power to move, the power to seek light. And the second density in our planet is one that is uh, held by plants and animals. So these life forms evolve learning the lessons of freedom of expression from a very physical way. And as they evolve through experiencing life, they start to recognize not only that they are consciousness, but they start to see that they are individuated consciousness, right? So I am not just a pack of dogs, I am one dog, and there are other dogs that are not me. That's a pretty critical realization for consciousness. And that graduates to third density, which is where we are. And can we stop right there and go back? So underlying premise is first that all is one, right? And everything is a unity, and that... um, the one in its desire to explore or know itself fractions off into these pieces that are like the the microcosm of the macrocosm pieces of the whole and then these densities are so so it separates and it first moves into the first density and evolves through experience into the second density and then evolves to the third is it sequential like that there's no there's no skipping from first to third and going back to second right it the the next one grad graduates into the 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 next one okay just wanted to clear that up for people if they're listening yeah yeah there's definitely a sequential order now it is important to note that in the beginning, at least this is according to Ra, it didn't just start in first density and then moved up. So the creative moment where, call it the Big Bang, there was the order of energies formed themselves. So the densities formed themselves simultaneously. So there was already love and light or energy from the creator that chose to be at a certain density out of free will. This, this is where they wanted to start their experience. But from our human mind, which sees time as linear, 
the order is sequential. Okay, so it all sense. it all got created at one time, but we look at it through the linear progression. Yes. Um, one other thing, so because you keep mentioning raw, but who's who is raw? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I think a good way to explain it is I'll talk about the rest of the densities, and I think that really helps at least me understand who Ra is, because people think that Ra is the sun god or some alien, and that just sounds pretty out there, but it's much more personal than I think we give it credit for, at least on the surface. So third density is called the density of choice, because as we've evolved to recognize our individuality, we're now also recognizing group consciousness, right? So we're, we're, we've passed individuated consciousness and we are working to understand how we can move, feel, sense, and think together. So this interesting pattern is one, another one that's recurring in the universe, which is there's source breaks off into two pieces and then the two pieces learn to behave together to form something new and this repeats um so our density is called that of choice because as we've learned of our own power now we have to choose how we want to use that power and there are two paths that that were presented to us by really the creator and and the two paths Another way to look at it is, in order to evolve, you need to be able to work with a higher vibration of energy. And in order to do that, you need to develop the ability to withstand that energy. And so, the one path is that of radiation or service to others. And it's also called the path of the open heart. That acknowledges the natural um, progression of, of the chakras of the densities, and and it chooses to see others as itself and share energy freely. As, as, and as you share energy freely and receive freely, you start to increase your ability to work with that energy. The other path is that of absorption or service to self, in which there's a recognition of that energy, otherwise called as love, in both ways love, and this is more of love of the self that sees the self as the creator and others as lesser forms of the creator and starts to essentially learn how to suck energy from others. But that also in turn teaches that entity how to work with more energy, right? So those paths evolve to the fifth density. Fifth density is... Oh, wait. That, oh, sorry, the what fourth. About, yeah, I was like, what about fourth? <laughs> yes, you're right. Fourth. <laughs> So we're in third. Yes, we're in third. And then you're talking about where we're headed. That's right. Okay. So in fourth density, um, it's called the density of love and understanding. Once we've already made that choice of how we will work with love. And uh, love being the creative principle and the original thought, as Ra describes it, of the creator is a very powerful thing and it is the cornerstone of the creation of this universe particularly so once we've 
chosen how we will study this thought. We essentially are giving much more power as a social memory complex, which means we choose to start merging our minds and um, how we communicate and how we share energies. And that gives us the ability to study love from a much higher perspective. So either choice, either path, service to self or service to others can still graduate you to the fourth density. That's right. Okay. So in the fourth density, as, as that evolves, you know, there's more of an interplay between not just this, let's say this planet graduated to fourth density and positive. And, and positive would be like service to others. That's right. Okay. Then <clears throat> we would evolve in that density enough that we start to, to work with love, not only with each other in this planet, but outside of this planet, because we become more aware of love everywhere and of life everywhere. And so that's where there's opportunities to be of service to others truly, right? And especially the third density right below, because as we graduate, Russ says that there's a lot of an awareness of the sorrow of third density and there's a lot of compassion, right? These lessons start to refine themselves to the point of wisdom. And that's the fifth density. And so moving through these densities is in by reincarnate. It's not like we're just moving all through this from my childhood to now. We're <laughs> reincarnating in different forms and, and so forth or different lifetimes. It might take many lifetimes to, to move from one density to another. Is that correct? Yes, it is necessary. <laughs> uh-huh. And another question I had. So, and and then, because you talked about this choice of the two paths, does that mean that we only traverse one path, or is it necessary to do both? So, if I started in service to others but didn't have an awareness of service to self, could it? force me eventually to come to service to self because I focused on others and not on self and I had to find the love for self. It, d- d- I feel like it necessitates both sides, but mm. is that true? Or, I mean, I know that if you go service to self, you eventually will have to come over to service to others to evolve because service to self is the illusion of separation and the truth is unity. And so service to others finally will take you on that path. But could you just do the whole service to others path? Or do do you also necessitate service to self as part of that? That's a good question. That's a really good question. I know know what he's going to say, but it's it's a great question. I know that I thought of this question a long time ago when I read the book and I got Mm -hmm. the answer, but it's so long I've forgotten what the answer is. So... The interesting, the confusion comes from the limitation of the words, the words of service to self and service to others. That's why it's it's really an energetic idea. So when when you look at the positive path of service to others, it doesn't mean that you're giving all your personal energy to everyone. What that means is that you've opened yourself 
literally you've opened your heart chakra to receive energy from creator, from the creation. Um, and that love is what flows through you. And that's what serves others. We can love, meaning we can give energy from our lower chakras, right? We can give very intellectual energy. We can give physical energy. We can care about others because they're our family. We can, we can help out somebody because we think it's the right thing to do. There are all these ways to, to serve others that don't necessarily mean that you have accepted this higher vibratory state, right? So to answer your question, you do absolutely need to love yourself first before you can love others because loving yourself means you are allowing that love to enter. And that's the only way it can come out through you. The service of the other path doesn't allow the heart energy to come in at all. It is completely closed. What it attempts to do is to harness the power of the lower chakras, the bottom triad, to such an extent that they suck so much energy that it springboards from the solar plexus up into the gateway or the the seventh chakra essentially so they're trying to bypass the circuitry of energy and that's what makes them still be able to work with that kind of energy and so they can move so people who are on the negative path the service to uh, service to self sorry um can go from third density to fourth they can go from fourth density to fifth even yes. still being s consumed with just themselves and then once they get to sixth which is what i think she was asking is like how far can you get on this path like just service to self once they get to sixth it's impossible for them to go further right because at some point they realize that everything is one right so they have to open themselves to yeah. to this love that that part makes sense to me um i guess my question actually i was thinking about it some more and i was thinking i think this is just my own ideas um that we all at some point would start on the path of service to self because even if i think of when we we're children and we're just only aware of ourselves like when we separate from awareness of the unity into pieces of the divine we go into forgetfulness right that's how we can play this game um that's what we the game that we came to play is to forget that we have the unity and explore the separation and come back to the unity awareness and so in that forgetfulness we would be on the path in our earlier awareness or evolution of service to self first it's more a matter of when we switch which is kind of what you were saying tim is like some some souls will stay in the service to self path from the the third density to the fourth density to the fifth others might switch over service to others in the third density or in the fourth i guess that's now that i'm thinking it through i think we all have to at some point have been in the service to self because we didn't have awareness yet 
to to know of the unity and to have the service to others orientation. So another way to look at it is just through this energetic principle or or visual before fourth density. You're right. Like there is no clear path of they call it polarization. Polarization is positive or negative, right? Like mm-hmm. like a magnet. And so you, especially in third density, because that's the density where, where you're able to influence your neighbors, right? You you realize the power you have over people and over yourself. This is the first density in which this happens. And like you said, also, we are born with the veil, which is an evolutionary mechanism that forces us to make a pure choice and test both polarities, just like you said. So the key is that it's testing, it's tasting, it's not committing yet. The idea is that over a lot of these lifetimes of tasting and experiencing all these desires, that earthly desires that you wanted to experience, eventually you make a choice about how you want to experience the next two densities with. And so after that split, it is very rare that there will be a switch. Mm. Um, the The switch from negative to positive or the principle of unity happens because going back to energetic principles, the negative path, because it can only evolve by absorbing, this is how it accumulates, call it spiritual mass. Like if you think of this circle, right, that grows by sucking energy. And it gets more and more efficient because it needs so much energy to access what's called the, the gateway. But when I say that, I mean that's contact with source. That's contact with intelligent infinity. And so by communicating with intelligent infinity, which is unbiased, it doesn't care who you are. It gives to all and it's freely available to all no matter what they are able to learn, they're able to grow, They, everyone's able to do so. But they come to a point where entropy is inevitable, and that's what happens in fifth density of wisdom, right? Where they've gotten so dense with energy, they just can't suck enough to keep accumulating more. And that's where in order to keep progressing, the only way forward is to switch polarity and to recognize that energy expands, compounds when it is openly shared. And um, you mentioned the veil. And what are your thoughts or what is Ra's thoughts about, um, a lot of people talk about the veil lifting in the time that we're in right now. Um, Yeah. So that's a good question. And now that we got to the sixth density, I can also introduce Ra more clearly because that is where Ra comes from, the sixth density, at least in 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 very advanced sixth density. <laughs> and so they are approximating seventh density, but essentially that is the density of unity, right? So we merge with so much energy and our viewpoint changes because we 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 went from trying to understand love, working with love, to refining that love into wisdom, working with that wisdom, working with light. So by refining, think of like a fire that comes from um, a big bonfire, right? 
it's just kind of open fire. It's it's just fire. The refinement of fire is when you, I don't know, grab some tools and maybe have uh, a, a welding tool that refines that fire into a very, very sharp blue flame, right? That's much more powerful. It's controlled. It's contained, right? That's kind of a visual for me that I think of, of the refining of love, right? Um, and you, in unity, there is the perspective that changes from how do I work with love and light to becoming that very light. And that creates the awareness of all, right? And so Ra says that the world is in pain, I'm in pain. If the world is sick, I'm sick. So why wouldn't I tend to my sickness? It's very simple, right? And so they felt compassion and have been trying to help our planet evolve because there's a whole series of events that happened before our time that have complicated the energetic balance of this planet, right? And so they say that the graduation or the the, the birth, there's, there's, there's a lot of labor pains in the birth of fourth density for our planet. So we're having a rough birth, you're yes. saying? Okay. That's right. Oh, it was about the And veil. so Raw came in and they're like, you need a C-section. Like, we're going we're gonna to help you. <laughs> or you need an epidural. Or <laughs> yeah. For going yeah. to this metaphor. <laughs> yeah. You need an epidural and we're here to, that's what the law of one is. It's basically an epidural for humanity. <laughs> Not really. Because I, I don't think I use that metaphor very well. Not really. Because the epidural would just like take all the pain away. But oh, I true. think it's, yeah. it's more about showing us you know, bringing it into our awareness. Yeah. We still have to make that choice, right? The way I see it... Oh, I was going to just say, you know, what I found really interesting and fascinating with in the Law of One was all the stuff that you're not supposed to be fascinated in. That, that was the stuff that really... <laughs> and I think that's what draws a lot of people to yeah. it is like, you know, they talk about the pyramids and, and aliens and, and UFOs. And um, they do talk about themselves, though. They say that at one point, obviously, they were third density, so they they lived on a planet somewhere that, w- and and they say that it was Venus, right? Right. So they were people. They looked like us. Neighbors. I <laughs> yeah, and they lived on Venus. And what's really fascinating to me about that is that I always just like, I kind of brush that aside, like oh, like you know, because now Venus is extremely hot. And I thought to myself, well, how could they live on a planet if, if they were in bodies like ours, if, if the planet was so hot? And then, this was maybe like two or three months ago, an article came out on Fox News, literally. And <laughs> don't ask me why uh, it popped up on my feed, but it said that scientists had a new model and they were astronomer astronomers were studying Venus and they ran this model and it uses like these supercomputers to make this model. And they found that like 400 million years ago, Venus had the exact same climate and temperature range as earth. And it even had water and they suspect possibly life. So what they're saying is totally possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there are so many details in all of this that it's, you can really, really, that's one of the reasons why I, I strongly encourage people to just geek out on it because it's just fun to read about all this stuff, you know. Um, so the question was why? The, what the question was that some people now are talking about 
this veil lifting that we're in a time on the earth where the veil is lifting and what is Ra's perspective on that so essentially we are at the end of a master cycle of experience in this planet in third density um, that means that there is an allotted amount of time really given by the cycle of life right this literally the orbiting of the planets and the cosmos that creates this natural schedule and our time is up we we had as much time as we any other planetary civilization on the universe would need to make a choice and now it's time for the fourth density to start and so you've heard the age of aquarius and you know, the second coming and all these other references to a cataclysmic change in life and consciousness. And the way Ra describes it is that our planet is being graduated or harvested in positive fourth density, the planet itself. I'm not talking about the people, but the actual planet. And so that has already begun. And these new energies are interweaving with our third density energies whether we like it or not. So there's only a little bit of time left to learn the third density lessons to make that choice. And a little bit of time from our perspective in this life, people have had plenty of lives here. Right? They just don't remember. So, so some people will be consciously aware of that and consciously making a choice of their path. But I, I assume most people will not be aware that they're they're not consciously making a choice. They're they are sort of living a life that's more service to self or service to others. Um, but you said either one can move into fourth density. Yeah, the problem is most people are in the middle. They're still t- tasting both sides. They haven't made a choice. Energetically, that's where there's the, like a knot, and it is. It is a knot that is a consequence of thousands of years of conflict of actually soul implants from other third density planets that moved here because they had issues in their home planet. And now we have a huge diversity of souls here. And frankly, from a lot of, I don't want to say failed, but from other third density planets that didn't get to graduate. And so they were repeating the third density. So all these different energies have manifested themselves through our history of wars and oppression and the society we've built, right? It's, it's, it's a very um, heavy society, right? Um, and I think that that's why raw is helping, and not just Ra, by the way, many other intergalactic entities have come to Earth. Number one, it's fascinating to learn here because there are things happening here that I don't think in many other planets in the galaxy are happening. But number two, to help stabilize this energy to provide the opportunity for these people to make a choice, right? But most people, the truth is that it's it's unlikely that they will because the momentum of their energetic confusion, it's hard to untangle that. What happens to the souls that don't make a choice by the time that we move into fourth density? They will have to 
find a new planetary home somewhere else in the universe at which they feel comfortable with. And this is an idea that I really love, that the creation really is, is made of love and that the creator gives us full freedom to experience life wherever we're comfortable. So if we graduate, it's not that we're being given a grade or a diploma, it's we're choosing to learn new lessons because we feel ready for them. So the actual, they call it the harvest, which is the the event of choosing your next density. The way it's described is that this super powerful light from source that provides all vibrations into one is being given to every soul to walk through and you walk the steps of light until you feel comfortable and if where when you feel comfortable is in fourth density then you're in fourth density now you asked before can you skip a density right <laughs> uh no because you can't learn the lessons to to get to the next it's a vibration and you yeah. can't you can't fake a vibration yeah, yeah. i yeah. understand that now I, what does happen is there are what's called a wanderer so especially at our time now which is graduation time to lighten the planetary vibration to give other people the chance to decide there are fourth fifth sixth density beings that reincarnate as a third density being limited by all human traits so they are not better or greater or more powerful than any other human but they bring that deep bias in order to help feed this planetary web of energy, right? So once they pass away, they will hopefully go back to their home vibration, right? Mm -hmm. So it's possible to be here on Earth in the third density, um, even having graduated higher and you're just kind of um, dropping down your vibration to be here? So it is not quite dropping it down, it is, that you your vibration encompasses different vibrations together and you're choosing to activate one part of that vibration right so in the for example the chakra system you could have multiple chakras activated flowing energy but right now we are fully activated in the third chakra that's the third density that's how we are expressing our nature through that limitation right so there's more complexities, more technicalities to explain all that. But essentially, as you have evolved your knowledge of self in higher densities, you learn disciplines that we can't even fathom. Like, how can you compress yourself to certain levels of density that are below you, right? Like, I have no idea, but <laughs> they can do it. Yeah. And that's kind of the concept of of like say like a jesus christ figure would be a higher density coming down to um, affect the polarization of the people on this planet that's right and and i assume that there's some sort of balancing happening so some maybe some sort of negative entity would have its chance on our planet too or is that not how it works yeah that's interesting because rod definitely talks about there has to free will has to be maintained always that means that it can't be obvious that positive is the better choice and it can't be obvious that negative is the better choice 
And that's why even in religions and in everything, almost everything, you find both polarities. I don't know. I mean, I think my perspective is that there is an underlying current that already makes it feel negative in so many ways. I mean, think about it, right? Corporate America, how it is, how life is. It's more about competition. It's more about winning. So there's already been so much of a negative influence and it's that's the current. So going against the current is a harder thing to do. So Ra also says to polarize positively, you have to be 50% plus in service to others. And that can be misleading. What that means is, I think what I'm saying, which is it's hard enough to open yourself to others just half the time. It, that's hard. If you want to polarize negatively in service to self, it's 1999 or 95. I don't remember, but it's very high because you're already flowing in that direction. So you have to accelerate the flow. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. I like the way you described it because I actually tried to describe this in a previous episode and I didn't do as good of a job as you did just <laughs> now. But yeah, I, I like looking at it that way because there definitely is a, uh, you know, a bias here. You can see all around us. There's a totally a bias towards service to self. I mean, it's obvious. But yeah, to go against that, it is this challenge. So to get 50% there, it's hard. You know, yeah. I, I don't. I don't think I'm there really, but you know, I'm is there shooting, like I'm a website where we can check? Yeah, where, exactly. What percentage? <laughs> Just type it all in, do, 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 and it tells us you are. Answer these <laughs> you do want to know, though, right? Like, I want to know. Am I there? So, or a blood test or something? You can saliva test. This is this is the I think a very common question, a very common thought. Very left brain perspective yes, way of looking at it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Have I made it? Am I good enough? Right? That's exactly it. But one of the reasons why I think the veil is so powerful is because think about it. If if you if you're in the dark, if you don't know, you're gonna keep pushing. You're going to keep you're gonna dig deep. You're gonna find your desire. You're gonna find your will. And that's powerful. Right. If you were to know and you'd like sit back and I'm cool, everything's fine. There's no more work. It's done. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to bring it back to the raw beings, but um, don't they say something about their third density experience was much easier than ours? And they kind of <laughs> like they kind of like aced the test and went straight to fourth or something like that. Yeah, this this is all these are very complex nuances but yes when Ra was in third density they describe a much more harmonious experience so not easier but more harmonious meaning there was less confusion less probably less transplants from other third densities that just mix the energy pot and everyone just kind of agreed uh, to polarize in the same direction the counter to that is that Ross says because they had a harmonious third, fourth, and even fifth density, that they moved relatively quickly through those densities. However, once they got to higher fifth and sixth, they had a hard time integrating the the real open 
complete essence of unity, right? Because they were not exposed to these, you could call them darker, more negative portions. And that that's something that a lot of people also forget is that to truly open the heart is to accept all light and shadow, right? And so that's another reason why I think Ross very involved with our planet because they they have a lot of energetic kinks they're still trying to learn that they had they really didn't get a chance to when they were growing up i think what's really interesting about this body material and things that we're talking about is this perspective from what i'm hearing is that the third density lesson to graduate into fourth density is about simp- is about making that choice one way or the other service to self or service to other the positive or the negative um it's about really polarizing and yet we we, we often talk and, and think in the way from a spiritual perspective is that um what we really need right now is unity consciousness because the world has become so polarized and we're talking about politics and we're talking about religion and how everyone's thinking in black and white um, but we really need to come to this wholeness and this unity consciousness um, but from the raw perspective is you know, the negative path isn't the bad path and the positive is the good the way that we often think and so um, that's really interesting to me because I, I do often think in this perspective of polarization being bad and that we're trying to graduate out of this lower level idea of polarization but but not necessarily from from where we're at as beings just going from third density to fourth density it's okay to be polarized just choose one path don't stay in the middle is what i'm hearing don't be on the fence just choose choose a path yeah and i think part of that is because of our human vulnerability and we feel that everyone needs to be in the same page for us to be safe and and to be happy. In reality, the desire to change others is a more negative thought because you you're you want to exert power over somebody for their own good. That is exactly the negative way it think. And so what Ra teaches again is to focus on on loving the self, on opening yourself, focus on your inner self. And, and as you transform yourself, then that love can flow through you. Once again, always through you, not from you, right? Yeah. And that it doesn't matter what you see also, right? If you see disharmony, if you see things that you don't like, how can you see the love in that? How can you find harmony within yourself when there's disharmony outside of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a really good point that you made, Tiana, was that, you know, we do live in this world where everyone wants everyone to be the same, you know, and it's just not going to be that way ever. And, you know, just, I think, allowing everyone to be where they are is you know, just the best practice, I think, because, you know, like you said, we can't, we shouldn't be trying to make someone be a certain way, you know, that's actually the opposite thing that you're trying to do you know yeah i see that a lot in um spiritual communities healers and i have like little air quotes that people can't see but healers who think that they're here to sort of fix people or heal Mm. people is really kind of what you're saying is sort of trying to exert 
your will over someone, even though it doesn't matter if it's coming from a place of thinking that you're helping, it's still not honoring someone else's choice just to. Mm-hmm. But this brings me to another point that I was I just really briefly looked at the summary for the raw material because I'd read it so many years ago. I looked it up really briefly today and I was kind of familiarizing myself with some of these concepts. And one of the ones it said, which I think is kind of controversial, but I'd love to discuss a little bit, is the idea about the first. So so the first understanding is that everything is one, that there's unity consciousness. And then the first distortion of that is that there's free will. Can you talk a little bit about that idea that free will is a distortion? Because I think that would have (laughs) a a lot of people will find some um, discomfort or misunderstanding in that. Yeah, that's it's a very deep question. And I think it's one that is not just a plain vanilla answer. It's one that's more like an experiential answer within what is why is free will a distortion of love in my experience i see it as trusting that everyone is cared for that everyone has everything they need to find themselves to find love to find their way back to unity if i see you and i choose to believe that you will be all right no matter what. I am giving you my love. I'm giving you my support. Whether you are going crazy or are peaceful. I choose to see within that experience that you're having that the creator is loving you, protecting you, guiding you no matter what. And I think that's how I see free will as a distortion of love that it is a recognition that all is well. That no matter how long it takes to get back to unity, no matter how many twists and turns in your path, how many further distortions you take to know yourself, that you will find yourself. I guess I was thinking of the word, so when I think of free will as a distortion, my mind interprets that as free will doesn't really exist. Is that the wrong interpretation of this idea that free will is a distortion? So distortion... Does free will exist or does free will not exist? It, it does, but it is... Distortion to me means it's incomplete. It is, a, it is a portion of it. So like going back to the, the rainbow, they are all light, but they are fragmented parts of light. And some distortions are more encompassing than others, if that makes sense. Like, for example, polarity is a distortion. The fact that there's service to others and service to self, that's a distortion. It's an illusion from unity, right? But it is a distortion that's useful as light separates itself to experience itself. So then free will is an illusion from unity, meaning that really we don't, have free will meaning that free will is a part of unity it's not that we don't have it it is that it is only necessary for our experience it is not really necessary it is not ultimate 
It is only necessary right now. At this level. Yeah, I get that. That makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. But it is, it's, it's that, that's why I said that's a deep question because this is, I don't think this is something that's just like, oh yeah, write that answer right here. This is probably something that you could spend a few densities studying, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah, I think if you just look at it from the surface, people from their logical mind could have a lot of arguments. Like when you just said what you said, I just went into the depths of my being and I felt and resonated with that. Mm -hmm. But I know that my mind, when it logically works through it, has a lot of arguments about that. But I felt into it and it was like, yes, I get that. And I think that that's like this material. Again, when people look at this material and they see it's channeled um, by what some people say is an extraterrestrial being, a lot of people will just argue about it at that level of like, oh, you know, the source of this material, is that true? Um, But it's about, you read the content and even just, it's not just about working it through logically in your mind. A lot of it logically does make sense, but there has to be, you have to have a connection with a part of you that's the deep inner knower for anything. And that's, that's I think, you know, in this information age that we're in, and this is part of why it's so confusing to make that choice is because there's so much information now. And so we're inundated and people get confused and overwhelmed unless they have some connection to their deep inner knower, their higher truth or higher being, so they can resonate with it and feel into it otherwise our brain can can wrap us up into a lot of confusing circles and so so yeah i hope that when people i hope people will visit this material and they will um connect within themselves uh maybe even meditate first before you read it or or sit with the information for a while and feel into it and start to see if something doesn't kind of emerge from within you based on the information even if some of it seems out there at first or confusing or bewildering yeah definitely i think that's a really important point that you just made you know about having more than just our intellectual minds analyzing things we have this other part of us that's you know equally as important and uh, i think that's a lot of what's happening on our planet is that we're over intellectualizing everything so I think if we bring more of the the heart into it, you know, and the inner self, then, um, you know, we have a different world overnight, really. But um, I think it, it feels like there's so many more questions in my mind, and I have, like, so much more that we could talk about. We could probably go on for another two hours. But I think we're going to um, probably wrap it up. Yeah. So I'll say one thing about your comment and then one final thought. Um, something that I found very powerful is that we're here to experience confusion. That, that is a necessary part. In fact, the illusion of this planet was created to confuse us because that would force us to look within, right? So we were meant to find loops of logic that never end. And so you can tell somebody to stop using your intellect and, and, and use resonance. But if they don't desire to do that, it doesn't matter. And that's where everyone has their own path, right? When I found the material, I, I came from a period of over analysis, over logic, like I was extremely left brain. And 
that was just that time in my life. And I had never believed in aliens or anything of that sort. Probably up to six months before I read The Love One. So I had a very skeptical mind. And somehow I was, I was ready because I had allowed myself to follow desires that seemed trivial, that seemed um, earthly. But we all have this this blueprint that we created for us to live in this life before we came into this life with our higher self. We designed this blueprint of, hey, I want to experience these things. I want to test these desires. And I want to be able to either lose parts of myself that are not needed anymore or I want to find these treasures of essence of energy and so trusting the path before you is very important and this is where meditation and mindfulness and living in the moment are very important because you don't have to go become a monk or you have to be a scholar or you don't have to do anything you just have to be you and if you trust the desire that feeling eventually you will find that resonance, right? I think the problem is when you try to fit in too much, then you just, you stopped hearing even your own desires, whether they be spiritual or not, it doesn't matter. Well, I feel that we've talked a lot about these parts of the loved one that are maybe more technical, but interesting and help us understand kind of where we're at. But in essence, you know, the loved one is about finding infinity within yourself. And we have, as humans, this insatiable desire to find that mystery, that fulfillment, and all our desires to help others, to, to be of service to others, to change the world, can all be fulfilled within us. If we love within if we change ourselves then we change the world truly and so no matter what the path before you is that is a path of the one well thank you so much for coming on and talking with us we really appreciate it yeah how can people uh contact you or find out more well i i'd be happy to make my email and phone available oh. i don't have a, a website of any sort and yeah, I'll be I'll be doing some more sessions of the study sessions of Love One. Um, they're pretty open format. Uh, I'll usually have a few topics because like we just went through. There's so much to talk about it, but I always welcome questions or suggestions for topics. And so I I would love to to find other people that are interested and would like to you know share because I'm learning just as much as anyone else with this. <laughs> so, yeah, and I'm very appreciative of, of you guys. I'd like to definitely say that. Um, I love what you guys are doing. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Yeah, we'll, we'll, what we'll do is then we'll put your an email address that you want to have publicly available and we'll put it on the description for this episode. And then that people can good. can email you if they want to go to the study session or something. Yep. Or if you want to just meet for coffee and, you know, you just want to ask some weird questions. <laughs> oh, be That'll be careful. Tim. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Illusion. 
I'd like to say thank you to our guest, Luis Rieti, for sharing his knowledge and time with us. We really appreciate it. If you're interested in finding out more about the Law of One, there's an amazing website out there that has it all posted completely for free, along with a lot of other channeled material that has come since then that is equally fascinating and enlightening. That website is llresearch.org. LL as in love and light. That's what it stands for. There's also a free audiobook version of The Law of One on YouTube by the user named Maffy Moose. If you would like to contact Luis, we'll have his email address posted on our website, beyondtheillusionpodcast.com, in the description for this episode. I'd like to say thank you to my family for being supportive of my efforts on this podcast, and I'd like to say thank you to Casey Henson and Tiana Roser for all their contributions to this podcast as well. If you want to learn more about this podcast, including past episodes, please visit our website at beyondtheillusionpodcast.com. And be sure to follow us on social media as well. Take care.